Welcome to Visibility Radio. I'm Kenneth Poir, and this program is entitled Just Why It Matters. We'll be talking to people who are subject experts as well as people who live with a vision impairment and other forms of disabilities. My guests and I will cover a range of topics including arts, sports, communications, and a whole lot more. Anything that will make a difference to live a full life. So join us on Just Why It Matters. Welcome to Just Why It Matters, and I'm Kenneth Poir, and today I'm sitting down with Donna Lindup. And Donna is an occupational therapist by training, but she's also the team leader for Brain Injury Community right here at Visibility. Donna, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Donna, we're talking about something which is fairly new to me, so you're going to have to help me out here. <laughs> I'll try my best. <laughs> okay. We're talking about brain injury. So let's start with trying to explain the difference between an acquired brain injury and a traumatic brain injury. Yeah, so as you mentioned, two types of brain injuries that we come across. So the acquired side of things is more internal damage, which can be caused by a number of factors. So things like exposure to toxins, pressure from a brain tumour, lack of oxygen um, depriving the brain. Um, also things like encephalitis, which is a bacterial um, infection um, and meningitis, aneurysms and strokes, which we commonly know and get a lot of referrals for. The traumatic side of things is more um, impact to the brain. So that can be caused by falls, assaults, motor vehicle accidents, sports injuries. And so that's the difference between the two of them. Right, right. Brain injuries, do they necessarily end up with people suffering different degrees of vision impairment or vision loss? Not every brain injury results in vision loss. Vision loss will occur because the area of the brain that controls our vision is is affected. But it can happen to somebody that's had a traumatic brain injury or an acquired brain injury. How common is vision impairment as a result of brain injury? Yeah, it, it is quite common. There's very, there's diff different types of visual impairment as a result of a neurological condition or a brain injury that's a little bit different from what we are experiencing in visibility in terms of other people that come with vision loss as a result of eye health. So, yeah, it's, right. it's common. Well, you were sort of explaining to me when we had this conversation a week ago and you were explaining to me the different forms of blindness, if you will. Can you explain to us what these forms of blindness are like? Because you talked about interpretation and perceptual difficulties. Um, help us out here. Yeah, so... Um perceptual difficulties so basically somebody finding it hard to make sense of what they're seeing this can look like for example somebody not recognizing an object that they would normally be familiar with like using a spoon or a fork a comb for brushing their hair that can be quite different dif difficult for an individual to interpret so are you saying they see it but they don't recognize it quite often they can see it and they don't recognise it. It can relate to objects, it can relate to faces, people that they know all of a sudden post-brain injury, and they might not recognise 
you know, familiar faces. It's very complex and it, it that's probably the simple version of it. But, you know... Give it, us a medical term because I know you had some medical terms to describe these um, difficulties. Yeah. So it's broadly called like a visual agnosia. So it's the, diff- you know, the difficulties in recognising objects, faces and perceiving the environment. And what about the other aspect or the other form of blindness? Because you also mentioned that sometimes they only see one side of things. Yeah, so that's more to do with visual field loss. So visual field loss um, is something that commonly happens post brain injuries. And that's as a result of part of their vision being lost in both eyes. Um, or the the ability for the brain to interpret what they're seeing. So it's called a hemianopia. It could be a full hemianopia where it's half of, say, their environment. So one half you look forward, if you look at a picture, if you were to cut that in half, they wouldn't be able to see that. It would be a black spot. There could be a quarter of their vision in both eyes that's missing, or there could be spots just um, around their vision where they're not receiving that, that information to interpret what they're seeing and that usually occurs when you the symptoms of that is people bumping into people into objects not knowing that they're there because we all rely on our peripheral vision to take in information we don't always walk around turning our head left and right right. you know talk as far as we can and so as a habit these individuals don't do that and so they're missing a lot of things and and finding that they're walking into people out and about. Right. So you're beginning to talk about some of the daily challenges but expand on that because these daily challenges occur in social settings, in the workplace, at home, uh, education. Can you give us an idea of the typical challenges that... um, that these people will, will be confronted with? Yeah. So, I mean, commonly what what you're finding is, you know, people struggling to navigate around their environment. It causes various problems. So if we think about the community, if you've got visual loss and you're not compensating for that visual loss, it, it could result in, you know, poor safety awareness, you know, walking into objects, into other people in the shopping centre or crossing the road, you're underestimating, you know, the speed of traffic or you're not even recognising that cars coming along. Even in the home, just finding objects in your cupboards, you know, that's another component of one of the one of the visual perceptual problems, which is, you know, if you've got a cluttered environment, um, it might be hard just to pick out that one object that you need because your brain can't process so much information. Right. Finding a fork in a drawer, it's it could be really difficult for an individual because, you know, they can't distinguish that one object in with that complex background of other cutlery and, other, you know, other things. So it could be quite debilitating, quite frustrating for the individual. Right. Um, brain injuries are complex and they come with coexisting difficulties. So things like, you know, people don't necessarily have a lot of insight into what's going on around them so they may not always understand the impact that their brain injuries had on them and so therefore their ability to perceive that those risks isn't there and so therefore they're a bit more impulsive or you know the safety factor of them being independent and being on their own is is heightened and 
Yeah. Now, you talked about the need for people to support them. In as far as families are concerned, do you think there's a vast difference with family support for someone who is vision impaired because of a brain injury versus um, poor eye health? Well, it's hard to say what, what's available to individuals, but I know that the evidence suggests that individuals that have a brain injury with or without a visual impairment, their recovery is far greater and their ability to maintain the skills that they learn in therapy is far greater if they have good supports and family involvement, which is why we aim to work very closely with the family and the client in order to improve and maximise their their ability to recover and right. achieve their goals. Yeah. Education is critical for any new condition, but I understand that this is not quite new. And yet there seems to be very little information or rather there's very little awareness of the difference between blindness caused by brain injury versus eye health. How important is education so that we all catch up with the condition and what we need to do and what we can do to support those with vision impairment arising from brain injury? Yeah, I think education is key. It's, it's really essential. It's essential for the client in order to understand what they're experiencing. You know, somebody who has a bit of insight and and may realise that, you know, then their vision's not quite the same or they're not seeing their whole environment, you know, they may understand that that's what's going on, but do they understand that that's made worse by the fatigue that's caused by their brain injury and being unable to manage their fatigue effectively will also impact their vision and their ability to cope with their day, you know. Education empowers the individual to know that there's multiple strategies in order to to manage the the condition, the the aftermath, I suppose, of their their brain injury. It also empowers the family, allows them to understand why their father, why their mother is behaving the way that they're behaving, why they're struggling with the things that they once were efficient and uh, and coping with. It really does change the roles of the individual within their family um, and in their social social surroundings. And so a bit of insight and education goes a long way in order to try and help people understand and support it. Right, right. Now, what sort of therapies are available for someone who finds himself or herself or for a family who has a loved one with uh, a quiet brain injury or traumatic brain injury leading to blindness. Yeah. So services out there, you know, external services, when somebody's had a brain injury, usually they'll have a neurologist or they'll have a therapy team involved in their immediate care. And then when we're thinking, you know, post when they're leaving hospital, that's where community services come into it. So people like ourselves, where it's really effective to have a multidisciplinary team to provide those supports. So that would be, you know, an occupational therapist, a physiotherapist, a speech and language therapist, psychology. Something we have within our services is assistive technology, which can be really effective in helping somebody cope and manage with, with various difficulties that they're facing. So all these things maximise 
their recovery and have a ma major impact on the quality of their recovery post-brain injury. So we're talking about a team of specialists working together to help a person manage or recover from the brain injury and the effects of the brain injury. Which brings me to the question of how often does a person who has lost some measure of their sight recover, fully recover? When it comes to neurological impairment with vision, the focus really isn't on, you know, fixing the eye, for example, you know, a pair of glasses. You know, if somebody has poor acuity, that's how they would manage that. When it comes to an acquired brain injury or a traumatic brain injury, it's it's working with a therapy team to manage the difficulties that you're facing or learn strategies to cope with that. So whilst it may not necessarily change that, you know, the, the their vision, their ability to manage with that will be improved. You know, their ability to compensate and cope in their environment and achieve you know, those goals, for example, walking down the street safely again. Mm. It may not be that you're walking down and your vision's changed and you can now see everything, but it might be that you're more efficient in turning your head and checking your environment, taking your time and understanding what your what your needs are and how to take care of yourself. Right. Now, you spoke with me about the plasticity of the human brain and how sometimes a person can compensate, if you will, by using a sense that is still available and developing a strength around that. I think you were talking about voice recognition. Can you t talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I've worked with clients that have what I mentioned before, an agnosia, so a visual agnosia where they have difficulty recognising, and this one person in particular had difficulties recognising faces. So when she seen her mum for the first time in the hospital, she didn't know who she was by recognising her face, which was quite distressing for her and her mum, of course. But one of the key things that we found, uh, one of her strengths, I suppose, was her ability to recognise voices. So she could recognise what her mum sounded like. And when we worked together, she learned to recognise the sound of my voice. So therefore, we used her strengths in order to increase her ability to recognise people within her, her environment, those people that she needed to know, but also work on skills and learning that the brain has this plasticity, this ability to rewire and relearn or learn new things. And so we worked on her ability to pick out features and, and focus on, you know, well, that person has dark hair, they have, you know, blue eyes, they have a fringe, and, you know, mm. things like that, you know, so that she was also learning new strategies to recognise them, right. backed up by her strength of recognising their voice. Talking about the plasticity of the human brain, are there any conditions or is the onset of age a restriction for the ability of a person to develop skills that will compensate for the lack of vision? I think with most things, age has a has a major impact on how we learn. You know, for example, a younger brain is very there's a lot of plasticity there. You know, the ability to learn. Our brains are a bit more of a sponge when we're kids versus when we're an adult, and where it's a slower process. When it comes to recovery, I think there's a lot of factors that influence that, not just age. 
but it's more how long the person's natural recovery has taken, um, how involved family is, their environment, uh, the amount of rehab that they're accessing and how intensive that is. There's, there's, um, it's the combination of things that has an impact. It's not just down to age. Right, right. If there's any advice you'd like to offer our listeners who have who has a family member or a friend who might have had a brain injury, what would you suggest to them? It's just realising that you are probably one of their biggest advocates and it's about realising that, you know, recovery isn't just within that first six months when they're in hospital. It is about, the you know, the next year, the next few years. It's about... It's about advocating for them to access you know those therapies out there those supports out there educating yourself accessing different websites that have great amounts of information you know fact sheets that can you know give you a bit of insight help you understand what's going on but i think it's it's about supporting the in the individual to to get the right level of support that they need in order to ensure that you know down the line that their independence, you know, is maximised, that they're, that they're able to achieve what they can versus if, you know, I don't like me saying it. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Well, there's so much to cover on a subject like brain injury and there's definitely not going to be enough minutes in a podcast episode. No. So for anyone who wants to find out a little bit more, where would they reach you? So they would contact us um, at Visibility and they can request um, a referral form. The referral can be made by a family member, it can be made by the individual themselves, it can be made by one of their health professionals. If they fill out that information and get back to us, we will contact them to make that, to make that contact and help them find the right kind of funding to access the supports that they need. Okay, fantastic. We've been talking to Donna Lindup, and she's an occupational therapist and also the team leader for the community brain injury right here at Visibility. Donna, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that brings us to the end of this episode. And until we speak again, this is Kenneth Parr signing out. <laughs>